Join Dr. Robert McGorney for Outliving Cancer, the podcast that provides each patient the tools and information they need to outlive their cancer. Hello, I'm Robert McGorney, Dr. Robert McGorney, and I'm here with Outliving Cancer. Today we're going to be examining breast cancer, and we're going to be examining the issues that surround breast cancer, many of which we've discussed before. But today I think, as a slight change of pace and as a, as a somewhat different format, I'm going to be introducing one of my patients, one of my patients who has had a remarkable outcome, and one that I feel proudly uh, was benefited by our work. So uh, as a slight change of pace today, we're going to be introducing a very nice patient. I'd like to start by uh, telling a little bit about uh, my contact with the patient and then introducing uh, Maria. So by way of introduction, Maria Lewis uh, and I met on the 14th of August in uh, 2017. Maria had been diagnosed in mid-July when she felt a mass uh, in her breast, a rather large mass in her right breast, and was concerned enough to seek medical attention. <clears throat> she then obtained a mammogram and, and a biopsy, and the biopsy confirmed that this mass was uh, breast cancer. It was obviously malignant, but it was also negative for hormones and also negative for the phenomenon of her 2 or ERB2. And so this, this cancer constituted what is known today as triple negative breast cancer. And triple negative breast cancer is a subtype, constitutes about 15% of all the breast cancers we see, and it doesn't carry the normal features of breast cancer. It doesn't have the estrogen and progesterone receptor, which is so characteristic of breast tissue. So this cancer is a little more aggressive than the average and doesn't respond to the hormonal therapies that we use so widely and so successfully in breast cancer management. Now, in Maria's case, she had a 5 by 6 centimeter mass. And in breast cancer medicine, that's a really large mass. And this firm mass, when biopsied, proved to have a very high grade which means that it looked very aggressive, and a fully 74% of the cells were proliferating. That's a, what's known as a KI67, or a proliferation rate. That means that most of the cells in this mass were doubling, were, were dividing, and that's an extremely high, for a breast cancer, that's about as high as they get. In addition, I could, on my examination at the time I met Maria, I could feel lymph nodes. So we knew that we had a large cancer. We knew that this was an aggressive cancer. We knew that this was a triple negative cancer. And we knew that this cancer was already spreading to the lymph nodes. When Maria underwent additional staging and completed MRI and PET scan, we were very happy to find that this cancer, however aggressive and large, had not spread to any distant sites. So we had a locally advanced breast cancer, something that was clinically what's known as a T3 by virtue of its size, the tumor size, and clearly by virtue of multiple lymph nodes, 
what's known as N2. That means it's um, the TNM session uh, uh, system suggested this to be quite a bad actor. So when we met uh, in August and sat down, uh, we um, realized that, that Maria was from Manchester, England. She was the mother of six children. Uh, and uh, she was employed herself as a school teacher. We had decided that uh, we needed to do a biopsy. I mean, this cancer couldn't just be treated with the off-the-shelf therapies, at least I felt, if we were going to get the best shot at curing this, I felt we needed to biopsy this. So when Maria came on the 14th, we had already put into motion our capacity to have a biopsy done so that I could get a portion of this tissue and study it and examine all the different uh, types of treatments that were available with a particular focus on some of the treatments that I had originally helped develop years earlier. So uh, having met on the 14th, we were fortunate to be able to arrange a biopsy at the Memorial Medical Center where I work, and Dr. Angela C., a very capable interventional radiologist, kindly took uh, Maria into the uh, breast center on the 15th of August, the next day, and we got uh, tissue biopsies for the purposes of our laboratory study. And it was a very good sample, and it gave us uh, quite a lot of tissue to study. And upon uh, examining the findings, it was obvious to me that this cancer would benefit from a treatment based on the drug cisplatin, or the closely related carboplatin. And so having conducted those studies and having evaluated the, uh, the findings, uh, I reached out uh, to Maria, who had returned to Utah. Now, Maria lived in Utah. I didn't introduce that fact. She had come all the way from Utah so as to, uh, to be treated by us. So this, uh, this was actually a bit of a trip for her. And um, so she returned to Utah uh, to await the results of our findings. And, and we did, on the 19th, just uh, five days after we'd met, we already had completed our analysis. And uh, we had come to a conclusion that we knew the best treatment that we could offer. And I uh, contacted Maria at that time to, to suggest that she might want her physicians to treat this, uh, or if she chose, to return to California and allow me to treat her with the combination. And the one that I had selected, carboplatin plus docetaxel, uh, turned out to be different from the treatment that she had been offered uh, at her uh, center in Utah. So having kind of made that introduction, I'd like now to introduce uh, Maria Lewis, uh, our, our very nice patient. And I'd like Maria to just maybe tell you a little bit about her experience and what it was like for her to go through this uh, with, with, uh, from her perspective. So, so Maria, thank you so very much for coming and joining us today. Uh, I introduce Maria Lewis so that she can, can tell us a little bit about her story. Thank you, Dr. Nagroni. I'm so happy to be here. Um, so when I was diagnosed with cancer, first of all, I felt a lump and my heart sank because a lot of my family members have actually died from cancer. Four months earlier, my niece had died of triple negative breast cancer. My mother had passed away at 50 years old of breast cancer. My grandma 
my grandparents on both sides. My dad had passed away from cancer. My cousins had passed away from cancer. My aunts, my nieces. So when I was diagnosed, my heart sank and I really felt that I'd been given a death sentence. My local GP assumed that I had a cyst. He tried to drain my lump, which was six centimeters at the time. Nothing came out. So um, he asked me to go book a mammogram, which I did. At the time of my appointment of the mammogram, they asked me not to leave. They said I would need an ultrasound right away. I received the ultrasound again. I was asked not to leave. 20 minutes later, after the ultrasound, I was in a room receiving a needle biopsy. And the doctor performing the biopsy told me that I had a very large tumor. It was very aggressive and that it was cancer. He said he wasn't supposed to tell me at the time, but he felt like I needed to know. He said he felt like I had at least 13 lymph nodes involved. And before I left that room, that doctor had called a breast surgeon and an oncologist. That was in July of 2017. I went to see the oncologist. It was at, it was at Utah's premier cancer center. It's very well known. The oncologist told me that I had triple negative breast cancer and that they didn't know how to treat triple negative breast cancer but they would throw their harshest chemicals at me and fingers crossed that it would work. Then that oncologist introduced me to an end of life counselor who started to tell me about how they would make my life, end of life comfortable, which told me that they didn't have a clue how to treat me and they had no hope. I left that appointment and went to my car, sat in the car park from that premier cancer center, and I called the office of Dr. Nagorni, and I spoke to Robin. Robin asked me to fax her or email her all my results, my, my mammogram, the results from the biopsy, which, which I, I emailed everything that I could. That was Thursday afternoon. The very next morning, which was a Friday at 11 o'clock, you called me yourself, Dr. Nagurney, and I was amazed. I couldn't believe that you would take the time to call me personally. But you said to me that I had a monster of a cancer, but there was hope. And you had me at hope because when you're given a death sentence, which I had thought that I'd been given, I needed to hear the words hope. You told me that with the right treatment, that you felt very good about this. And you asked me how soon I could be there. And without even asking you, I just said, I'll be there Monday morning. Never asked if Monday morning worked for you, but you promptly said, I'll clear my schedule. I'll see you Monday morning. And as you already stated, when I, when I met with you, you had everything lined up. You had the biopsy lined up. You had the genetic counseling lined up. Everything just fell into place. And like you mentioned, I had the biopsy for the assay test to determine what would kill my cancer. And I trusted in you. I'd researched you. I'd, I'd looked you up on YouTube and I couldn't find anything wrong. 
with anything I was reading, anything I was hearing. And I trusted you like my life depended on it because in actual fact, it did. Well, Maria, thank you for that uh, personal background on the experience. And um, to pick up where you just left off with our meeting and with the next day conducting the biopsy, uh, four days later, we had our results. And as I mentioned, I called you and I said that I had found a treatment that I felt was specifically and particularly good for you. And I felt that it should be possible for you to receive this treatment uh, in Utah. After all, you were hours away by car, and uh, it seemed that you should uh, be able to find a physician in your area who could do this. And I remember speaking to you about it, and. Um, as I recall, I would have to say you were rather adamant that you didn't want to return to the doctors in Utah and that you wanted to come to California to, uh, to have us treat you, which, of course, I was delighted to do. I wasn't any reason for me not to want to do it. I just that I was trying to make life easy for you. I, I always feel that patients have enough, enough to deal with. They don't want to be commuting, but um, we're always happy to treat patients who need us, particularly and, and most specifically when our recommendations differ from the recommendations of the physicians they're being treated by, and particularly when something like you, someone like you, has a, has a result that is night and day different from what they want to give you. And I felt strongly that you needed something different and that I didn't trust the treatment you were going to get to get you the complete remission we needed. So at that point, um, after talking to you on the, I think it was a Friday, I don't remember, uh, I said, well, we'd gladly treat you. And, uh, and you said you were coming to be treated by us. So, so um, that, was, that was, I think, around the 20th or 24th of August of that. Here it was only a scant 10 days after we'd met, and we had already pieced together the whole treatment, written the orders, and gotten ready to treat you. So um, maybe you could just you know, tell us a little bit about what led to your deciding to commute. I, I actually wrote a, a blog about you, um, which I published in August of 19, and it was called Interstate Oncology breast cancer patient on the run and it was about right. it was about you commuting from utah but why don't you tell us a little bit more about how you made your decision and what happened it was an easy decision for me to make dr nagarni i trusted you i did not trust the doctors in utah they wanted to give me the harshest chemo that they could fingers crossed hope for the best and they wanted to give me that adriamycin and other toxic chemo for 20 weeks. It was a no-brainer for me. I didn't trust them. I trusted you. I trusted the assay test. I didn't want to be treated by anybody else but you. I had a very large aggressive tumor. It had already spread into my lymph nodes. I felt that I had only one chance to get this right. I'd seen too many family members die, getting the wrong treatment. I knew that if my cancer was going to die, 
I needed to be treated in the right way at the right time with the right doctor. So traveling to California every three weeks and only for six treatments compared to 20 treatments of toxic adriamycin, it was a no-brainer. I was happy to do it. I, in fact, was so excited to get my first chemo cycle because I knew I had every confidence that once I sat in that chair and I was hooked up and the chemicals were going inside my body, I knew that my cancer was going to die. I knew it. And that's exactly what happened. Well, uh, it was interesting because you really were so enthusiastic. I rarely have patients look forward to chemotherapy, but in your case, <laughs> it seemed like you really did. I, I guess that's why they call our clinic the happiest place on earth. Oh no, I think that's Disneyland. But <laughs> but it um, it was an interesting experience. So on the on the twenty fourth of August in 2017, you arrived, and by that time, we had some additional information. As I mentioned to you, your tumor was exquisitely sensitive to the class of drugs we call the platins. Interestingly, these drugs are actually derivatives of platinum, the thing we use in, in jewelry and catalytic converters. Well, that metal is also one of the most effective chemotherapies, and its derivatizations like carboplatin and oxaloplatin and cystichlorodiaminoplatinum, all these platinum drugs, have a particular effect on, on cancer cells. And it turns out that the uh, triple negative breast cancers have features that make them specifically and particularly sensitive to platinum. And um, beyond that, I have always felt that the cytoxin adriamycin followed by taxol regimen, originally developed by Mamunas in 2005, I always felt that that regimen was inadequate and, and an imperfect choice for people with triple negative. So on a lot of levels, I felt strongly that the treatment you were getting under our care, which was going to consist of carboplatin and docetaxel, this is a two-drug combination, I felt quite strongly that this combination was exactly right. And what I was puzzled by is the fact that we had developed <clears throat> this type of treatment, the concept of this treatment, uh, about 20 years earlier. And I had published the first paper on the topic of platinum plus a related agent combination in triple negative breast cancer in the Journal of Clinical Oncology in June of 2020, there were a large number of papers that had come out since that time, including a paper by Sharma et al. in Clinical Cancer Research in 2017 that provided a pathological complete response, a complete uh, eradication of, of the triple negative breast cancers uh, in 50, over 50%. Uh, there were a large number of European trials, the Gephardt 60, uh, 60 uh, as well as American trials, the CALGB, uh, iSPY, and ADAPT trials. So there was ample literature uh, swirling around the use of platinum in this setting. And since you matched that perfectly, I was puzzled why you wouldn't be getting that everywhere. In any case, a second piece of the puzzle fell into place when your uh, molecular profile, your uh, gene profile, identified you to carry a BRCA1 BRCA mutation. And so your history, your family history of breast cancer was in fact a germline breast cancer phenomenon. You carry the gene that predisposes you to breast cancer. It turns out that women 
who carry the BRCA1 gene have a 72% lifetime risk of breast cancer. Basically, having BRCA1 is a guarantee almost that you'll get breast cancer. So on the 24th, knowing that you had BRCA, knowing that you were sensitive to the chemotherapies that we selected, knowing that this combination had proven to be the best combination for patients like you, we embarked upon our first of six cycles of carboplatin plus docetaxel. And I guess you could, if you wouldn't mind, just comment on your experience going through it. Oh, absolutely. I'd love to. I, like you said, I was excited to get chemo because I knew that my cancer was going to die. No question about it. So I was really excited to get it. And by the time I'd had my first cycle, my tumor had actually grown to eight centimeters. It was really rapidly growing. Two weeks after my first cycle of chemotherapy, I couldn't feel my large tumor in my breast. I was ecstatic. And I, I said to my husband, I can't believe this. I knew it was going to kill the tumor. I knew it was going to kill the cancer, but I didn't realize how fast it was going to kill the cancer. And so on the third week, when I returned to your office to receive my second cycle, I said to you, Dr. Negroni, you've got to feel this. There's nothing there, nothing after just one cycle. And you, I laid down and you examined me and you said, Maria, I can feel it slightly but it's working and I'm not surprised. I knew this was going to happen. After my second cycle, we couldn't feel anything at all. You couldn't feel anything. I couldn't feel anything. And we received a PET scan in October and it proved that I had had a complete pathological response to treatment. This is what happens when you're not guessing. This is what happens when you do the assay test and you know what's going to kill your cancer. And I don't understand why major cancer institutions are not doing this because every person that's been given a cancer diagnosis deserves a second chance at life and they deserve to know that their cancer is going to die and not be part of the 30 or 40 percent but no treat everyone's cancer on an individual basis like you do and i'm so grateful to you dr nagurney i'm so grateful to your staff and i'm so grateful that i found you because i've been given a second chance of life not only myself but my family they have me around <laughs> yeah, and your big family as it is, six children, and your lovely right. uh, family and husband. Uh, so the, the story just got better and better. We did the PET scan, and it was normal. Uh, your, your blood chemistries and tumor markers were normal. And after the sixth cycle, we referred you to uh, one of my colleagues, Dr. Cullinane, a surgeon here in Southern California. Uh, and uh, we uh, uh, asked her to do the surgery. And you had your surgery, and you were, had achieved a pathological, complete remission. There was no measurable cancer whatsoever. You were, it was tantamount to a cure. And just to clarify for the listening audience, uh, patients who achieve what's known as a pathological, complete remission, what that means is that the pathologist is given the tissue that they remove. 
and they slice through it and look under the microscope to see if they can find cancer. And if they can find no evidence of residual cancer, then a pathologist's pathological complete remission is established. Patients who achieve pathological complete remission have a 90% chance of being in durable complete remission. If you can if you can get every last cancer cell and remove it from all sites of known disease in the breast in locally advanced disease if you're uh, able to get to a pathological complete remission that's basically a cure. And so with that achievement with that remarkable finding that there was nothing left and just just to to Im imagine you have to realize that a single cubic centimeter of tumor is uh, a billion, B, billion cells. And if you have an eight centimeter tumor, you have hundreds of billions of cancer cells. It's, it's astonishing how many cells accumulate in these large tumors. So we took uh, tens to hundreds of billions of cells down to zero, and we're able to achieve a complete remission and so with that, and, and of course, with the BRCA identified, with that, we had to do some more work. And Maria, since, since complete remission, since your surgery, I think your surgery was in December? I, you'll know better than me. Maybe you could just tell us your experience since then. Sure, I'd be happy to. So January of 2018, I had a double mastectomy, which they removed also 29 lymph nodes. And like you just mentioned, they did not find any cancer in the lymph nodes or the tissue that they removed. March of 2018, I began six weeks of radiation. It was needed. It was required. And I gladly did it. And then June of 2018, I had a hysterectomy because, as you mentioned, because of the BRCA. Again, no cancer cells were found. And also, um, in between that, it was found that I had um, cancer on my kidney. So at the same time, I had a kidney nephrectomy. No cancer was found there. And then March of 2019, I did have deep flap surgery. And then my final adjustment, adjustment to that surgery was December of 2019. Every time I had a surgery, they always check my tissue. Not once up to now have they ever found any residue of cancer. And I credit that to you, Dr. Nagorni, and to what you do to your work. And I think my husband sat here right by me, but he'd like to say something also if he could. But I just want the listeners to know that if my cancer ever decides to come back, that I wouldn't walk to Dr. Nagorni and his staff. I would run. Hi, this is Stephen. I'm Maria's husband. Um, the whole thing was a journey for us and our family. Uh, it's not just the patient that goes through the process. Those, they're the ones that are dealing with it personally, but it's the whole family that, that experiences the, the, the journey. And um, we, we're so grateful that we feel like we were led to California to the Nagurni Cancer Institute that we were able to find that pathway because we don't think anybody else would have 
done what you did and would have found uh, the necessary treatments um, and administered them the way you did that would have led to the success that Maria's had. Uh, again, like Maria said, we don't understand why every major cancer center in the country doesn't approach the treatment of cancer the way Negroni Cancer Institute does. Well, Steve and Maria, thank you both for your, your nice comments. I, I'm just thinking that uh, August of this year will be our four-year anniversary. And, and in cancer, um, you look toward these anniversaries. Uh, the three-year anniversary is important, but the five-year anniversary is a particularly important landmark. And, and so this coming year, this, uh, I guess, August 14, or for you, July 19 with diagnosis, uh, will be the uh, the fourth anniversary of your diagnosis and, and our meeting. And, and we'll be looking forward to many more anniversaries uh, of, your good of your good outcome. So um, I, it, I don't know if you have any other comments or anything else you can tell you. You say you, you're, you're very kind to mention uh, what we were able to do for you. I'm only too happy that, that you found me because you found me. Uh, and, and your outcome is one of many good ones. Your story, in fact, uh, was so striking that uh, USA D Today uh, did a feature on you in, I think, October of 2019. And more recently, and I think we're going to have another chance to talk about this, more recently, you uh, and another very nice patient who we helped with a slightly different form of breast cancer were featured uh, on Good News Network uh, uh, about a month or so ago. And that, that story was very well received about how you uh, had uh, coached a patient in Missouri to to come uh, to get treatment from us. And similar to your story, she came and got treatment with us first. And then we were able to convince the physicians in St. Louis to continue the same treatment. And she had a remarkable outcome. So um, the stories uh, are just getting better. And your story is a particularly good one. Uh, again, thank you so very much for taking your time today and your busy life and all your kids and soccer games to come and, uh, and join us. I, I'm really happy for your good outcome and, and, and so delighted to, to speak with you. Oh, thank you, Dr. Negroni. Thank you for the invite. If, if, if ever I can get a chance, if there's one person out there, just one person that's listening, one person that we can help, one person's life that we can save, one other family that is saved, I'm happy to talk to anyone, anytime, because I just am so grateful to you. I'm so grateful to be alive. I've lost too many family members to cancer, and it doesn't need to be that way. And another thing I'd like to point out is I remember talking to you, and you said, Maria, look around the room. Look around the room when you're having your chemo and look at my patients because they do not look like they're dying. They look healthy. They have rosy cheeks and they look good. And I, I remember that. And I did. I went for my first chemotherapy session and I looked around the room and you were right. Your cancer patients were not only surviving their chemotherapy treatments, but they were thriving. And I went through every stage of my cancer journey. I just felt like I was thriving. And I am so grateful for all your staff. You have impeccable staff. They're wonderful. They're a credit to you. And I'm just grateful to you. I am so grateful that I was led to you, that I found you. And I'm so grateful to be alive. I'm grateful for the outcome. And I just wish 
that all the cancer institutions out there would listen to you and would follow what you do. Because if I'd have kept with that Utah Premier Cancer Center, if I'd have kept with that oncologist, I would be dead. I wouldn't be here today. So I'm grateful for life. Well, we're awfully glad you are. And again, thank you, Stephen and Maria. Thank you so much for your time today. We'll look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Everything